Welcome back to EV News Daily. Coming up today, Tesla reduce their range estimates in car. Deeper Android EV integration is coming and France kills off Chinese EV imports. Plus, stay tuned because later in the show, I'll tell you what Fisker are saying about direct sales versus dealerships. I'm Martin Lee and I go through hundreds of articles, feeds and stories a day. So you don't have to. I'm here to save you time. And I hope it works that way. We're live at 8am UK. That's 5am Eastern to start a brand new day with all you need to know. Patreon supporters get the shows as soon as they're ready, though, and ad-free. Be like them by clicking on a link in the show notes. We'll start with some, actually, a bit of CES tech news coming up. But first of all, Volkswagen, the brand, reported a 21% increase on their fully Vs that they sold this year. Uh, That is 394,000 of them, the biggest markets, if you're interested. I say this year, last year, 2023. Uh, China, obviously. Uh, Germany, UK, Sweden, France, the United States, Norway, and Belgium. In China, for instance, uh, where 40% of VW brand cars are sold, they sold 75,000 ID3s last year. And uh, in terms of the group, it was, I think, about 8% of their total sales. Now, they projected it to be 8 to 10%. So it's on the lower end of their projections. It was 11% the previous year was their projection for last year. Their production cuts have happened as well at VW. And uh, there's, they say, declining demand, tough conditions, all that kind of stuff. Well, you could perhaps ask pure EV makers like Tesla, like the car makers who are going headlong into EV, like the South Koreans, like Hyundai, Kia, Genesis. You get a different story. Volvo saying recently, we're seeing no slowdown. We're seeing no cancellations of orders, no declining demand. Interesting how some of the combustion companies who are navigating this perilous move to EV, not destroying their old business, like Ford recently, GM saying, oh, things aren't great in EV world. Others going, I don't know what you're talking about. Everything's fine. So it's the ones that are plowing forward, the ones that say, hey, we're going to be 100% EV by 2030. Well, people want to buy those cars. So, yeah, we'll watch Volkswagen. Volkswagen make great EVs, good EVs, I should say. Not all of them are great. Can't wait to drive, personally, the ID7. Looking forward to that. Looks like a very accomplished EV. Now, some news coming out of Vegas and CES, the tech show. And when this dropped into my inbox, i got to admit, I rolled my eyes and thought, I'm not even reporting on this for you, dear listener. But... Bear with me. Volkswagen will integrate chat GPT into future vehicles very soon. The ID3, 4, 5, and 7 are going to get chat GPT as sort of the background of their voice assistant, Hello Ida, which is how you wake it up. Uh, Chat GPT will be a voice assistant utilizing artificial intelligence and using additional sources to assist users. Now, the reason I rolled my eyes is because It's a tech show and everything at the minute. The last 18 months has been AI. So companies that had nothing to do with AI before are saying, oh, we're an AI company these days. And their valuations are going through the roof because, you know, people are stupid, etc. Nothing's changed, but they're just dropping those two letters in. However, whilst I did roll my eyes at this, this is why I think it's exciting because voice in car sucks. Now, not all voice in car sucks, uh, but compared to your smart speakers at home, the likes of the Amazon and the Googles and the Apples and stuff, in car, you've generally got to use the right phrases. It's easier just to reach down and turn up the temperature. Now, the example VW gave is a bad one because they said in their press release that you'll be able to say to ChatGPT or Hello Ida, however you wake the thing up, 
oh, I'm feeling a little bit chilly in the driver's seat. And it'll know, you know, chilly means cold. It'll know that to direct heat to you in the driver's seat. Uh, You know what? It's fine. In a car, I can reach down and just turn up the temperature. Not that much of an onerous thing to do. But hopefully by putting large language models into vehicles, and okay, there's an AI, AI buzz. Look past all that. Hopefully this can kind of rescue car makers, EV makers, uh, from being terrible at doing voice in their cars to something that you can just talk to your car um, just conversationally. Like in the Volvos and Polestars that run Google natively, for instance, you can, if you've got, you're logged into your Google account and you've got your home postcode set, you can just say, hey, take me home. And it will just route home and it will set all the charging points on the way. It'll tell you how much state of charge you're going to have at the beginning and end, how long to charge for, very Tesla experience. That's great, but that's only for the cars running Google natively. Uh, like I say, the Polestars and the, and, and, and the Volvos. So, and more to come. More are coming as well. But um, more of that, please. Yes, well done, Vol- uh, Volkswagen. Now, Sony, Honda have been showing off their concept car, the Iphelia, uh, which is a weird name, at CES. The partnership emphasizes ongoing improvements to the vehicle's hardware, keeping in line with the release plan for some time later in the decade. Uh, they've been doing this for five years in a row now. Sony, first of all, showed it off, and then they had the Sony-Honda partnership. Then they called it the Iphelia, weird name, and... Now they're com- uh, combining games into the car, because it's obviously a Sony and PlayStation and stuff. Entertainment, big screens, yada, yada, yada. Car's going to be out sometime this year. Uh, yeah, we don't need another year of a concept car at CES, thanks, Sony Honda. So give us some more details and don't just talk about how it's going to have big screens and stuff. Done it for five years in a row now. Uh, or make the car, or don't make the car, but anyway. Google are talking about how they're going to add chrome to their operating system in cars a couple of things to differentiate here there's android auto and then there's cars that run the actual android operating system the aforementioned polestars volvos etc so let's start with those running android auto and like apple carplay for instance so if you plug your android phone in to your car uh, you get some some mirroring of the display of the functionality now, if you have an Android phone, you will be able to see on the in-car screen the battery percentage within Google Maps. Uh, the same it works, the, the way it works in full, full-blown full Android. And that's very, very good. So if you are driving vehicles like the Ford Mustang Mach-E, the F-150 Lightning, and more to follow, even though they don't run Google natively or the Android system natively, uh, they will integrate enough to show... When you navigate somewhere using Android Auto, the light version of it, if you like, uh, it will show the battery percentage on Google Maps. It will know where you have to stop because it's because and because Google have all the, the the charging stations in their mapping now. How long you have to be at that charging station for? Now it does uh, need the car makers. So Ford will do it first to unlock that data. And they've all, so far, they've all been very locked down, understandably. They'll unlock that, that bit of the car, the BMS, for Google. And Google will be able to read, just using Android Auto, uh, what you need to know. That's brilliant. Now, there's also full-blown Android, like I say, the Polestars and Volvos of the world. And that's where things get really good. First of all, uh, check the Play Store because you should be getting Google Chrome. It's being rolled out now. So there's been the, uh, what was it called? The Vivaldi browser. Um, It was, uh, uh, it got you going, if you like. But anyway, 
full-blown Google Chrome now comes to those cars. And so that should be rolling out now, by the way. Check the Play Store icon at the bottom of your screen and you might, it's, it's in beta, so you might get it, you might not, but have a look at that to download. Also, if you have full-blown Android in your car, Android and iOS users will now see a button on Google Maps on your devices, your phones and your tablets that says send to car. So you can route plan the night before, send it to your car, you get in the car and it'll be on the screen waiting and it will have said sent from phone which is cool. That starts today as well. So that's some news from CES. Now let's talk about a big year last year in the United States. 1.1 million pure EV sales, uh, which blew away so many predictions and also blew away all of those trying to talk about a slowdown in electric vehicles. 1.1 million, a new high of pure BEVs, 8% of the total automotive market in the US, a 46% increase from the previous year add in hybrids and pure BEVs, and it was 16%. Cox Automotive racing this report today that I can tell you they think that the combined EV market share uh, will be 24% this year and 31% next year with combined hybrids and EVs. EV adoption rates differ across the states. West Coast states generally leading. According to registration data, California and Washington are leading the way with 21% and 15% respectively. These sales numbers, though, were only done up to registrations to the end of October. Tesla, let's talk about them. Their market share in the US increased 4.2% now last year, up from 3.8% the previous year. Uh, The data not released by Tesla, so it's done on registration data. This isn't coming from the company themselves. We think about 655,000 Tesla vehicles in the United States last year were sold. That's a 25% increase. And Tesla's current market share positions them above Volkswagen, for instance. So Volkswagen, not just Volkswagen's EV products, Volkswagen's products and their ice cars as well. Tesla, bigger. Subaru, it's bigger. BMW, twice the size of BMW. So who aren't Tesla bigger than in the United States? Well, GM, obviously. Uh, Ford, Toyota, obviously. Long way to go. Uh, notably, Tesla's average transaction price decreased from around 60000 to 50000 over the year with their serious price cuts. Cox Automotive predicts 70 new pure electric vehicles coming in the next two years, about 37 this year and 34 around that next year. Pure EVs launching in the US, which is very, very important because, said it many times on this show, we have a big choice of EVs here in Europe, China even more so, The U.S. market underserved in terms of choice, which is why it's so Tesla-centric. Now, staying with them, and then we'll talk a little bit more about EV adoption because it's a very key part of the storyline at the beginning of this year. You'll see loads of headlines around doom and gloom around EVs. None of it's true. We need to make sure that we sift through that and get to the facts. But first of all, Tesla is updating their range ratings for their models in the lineup, influenced, I think, partly by the changes in the EPA testing protocols for 2024, which started on the 1st of January. New testing methods from the EPA impacting all EVs, not just Teslas. Uh, A Tesla hacker on social media revealed through the source code uh, that Tesla is altering various features and software in response. One of those is the elimination of creep and roll stopping modes. And so you've only got hold mode. Now, must admit, hold mode makes sense to me. What about you, Ash? I'd like to know. Um, Hold mode is great for one-pedal driving if you're in a car like a Tesla that can do one-pedal driving and take you down to a full stop and hold you. Hold mode is more efficient and better for uh, energy efficiency. I like creep. 
Uh, it, it just mimics automatic cars. And also, I find it easier to have my foot resting on the brake. I let it off. You move forward a little bit in traffic. Um, but that's not for everybody. I think I'm in the minority with that, actually. I prefer that. But anyway, Tesla's having that removed via software. Important point. I don't think this was pointed out enough in the news coverage I saw of this story over the last couple of hours. Not affecting cars that you've got. Affecting new delivery cars. So they're not taking this feature away if you own a Tesla only on new vehicles. And that's because, like I say, I think this is mostly connected to EPA testing and only in the US. So again, this is not the new cars outside the US. I think you still get the three modes, hold, creep and roll. Tesla says all of these changes to do with uh, being more precise for their for their drivers. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously all companies try and take credit for changes that they're forced to make, a bit like Apple being forced to go USB-C by the European Union. They're like, yeah, we wanted to do that. Did you, heck? Anyway, let's talk a little bit about how well EVs are doing. We'll take a quick break, and then I'll come back, and we'll talk about fighting this anti-EV narrative that you'll see flying around a lot. Simply not true. We'll get into it in a moment. Stick around. Hey, if you'd like the podcast ad-free, by the way, easily done, you can support my work on Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash evnewsdaily, five, ten dollars a month, maybe more if you want to, uh, just like a posh coffee or two every month, and you can support the work that we do here to spread the word, to fight the fossils, and to get the word out there about clean, green transport. Now, I've got three stories in a row that I think are, are so positive, which will have had very little coverage, but you get to hear it on this podcast. First of all, a new study came across my desk today by Deloitte. Now, this Deloitte's 2024 Global Automotive Consumer Study, this breaking news uh, showed that there's a critical role in people's decision-making on what to buy and that is all to do with operating costs. The primary reason to drive EV is economic. And it was for me, by the way. Um, actually, it's because the car was... Number one was because the car was better. It was easier to drive. It was quick. It was silent. But also, the economics of it just worked. The green side of it was important, but not the number one for me. 66% of US respondents saying that lower operating costs is their top reason to go EV. Double that of the environmental reason. Uh, gasoline prices dropped 10% last year nationally in the US and will probably go down again this year. And that is going to have an impact on whether people move urgently to EV or whether they delay a purchase by a year or two. But it doesn't mean they won't go EV eventually. Despite current gasoline trends in their pricing, uh, Deloitte predicting here an increase in fuel costs eventually which will, of course, boost EV demand. The survey shows a 1% decline in consumer intent to purchase EVs this year. Price is the most crucial factor for US consumers in vehicle purchases, with many expecting to pay under $50,000 for a brand new car. Concerns about EVs. As always, people raise the flag of charging time, driving range, and cost. 46% say they need at least 400 miles of range. And you and I know that's not true. Well, these people say in in the study that they want that, and I agree. You think you need it. You know you don't. With the good infrastructure, with North America getting the NAX connector, uh, that will largely sort out many of the problems. Um, you need probably an EV that can do 250 miles if you use it in mixed driving. If it's a second or third car, you need maybe 150 miles because when it's cold and you know, you're doing some elevation, it's going to go down to 90 or 100. That's for your daily run around. And if you do some road trips, you want a bigger family car, obviously you need more. There is zero point carrying all that around with you day to day if you use it once a year. If you go on one long journey a year, towing 
caravan or something. Just hire a vehicle. No one's no one's gonna shame you <laughs> for driving a combustion truck for one week of the year if you've got to tow up a mountain or something. Doesn't mean you shouldn't drive an EV the other 51 weeks of the year. Uh, the charging experience, like finding and using charges, is also key consideration to people about when they go EV. They asked 1,003 respondents in the US, by the way. Second study that came across my desk today was this one from, um, I think it was from Bloomberg, and this was looking at global passenger EV sales for last year and this year and their predictions for the year. Now, they say that battery electrics and plug-in hybrids are expected to rise by 21%. This year, it'll be 16.7 million vehicles. Let that sink in for a minute. 16.7 million rechargeable vehicles added to the world's roads this year. Amazing. 70% of those will be pure electric. China will lead the way with 10 million EV sales. That's 60% of the global EV market. EVs will make up 20% of global sales in 2024. 14% of those purely electric. That's a rise uh, from 17% to 20% uh, from last year to this year. In Europe, we're still reliant on company car taxation schemes for EVs and sales are expected to reach about 3.4 million pure EVs. That's an 8% increase, uh, despite automakers like Ford and General Motors recently reporting a dip in EV demand, scaling things back, slowing down, expansion of battery factories, etc. Those that have leaned into EV and are pure EV, Tesla, Hyundai, Kia, and the Volvo and the rest, all saying they've seen no slowdown and are moving forward quickly. The US market is still going to be one of the smaller markets for EVs in 2024, about 11% of global EV sales. So a lot of the negative stories are coming out of the US car makers because they're just not ready to go all in. Well, some of them on pure EV. They're just It's this transition. And I understand that because the combustion stuff makes some money and the money funds the move to EV. We've got to be patient and pragmatic about this. And the slowdown in growth rate from 33% last year to perhaps 21% this year is what people have latched onto. But we know that growth rate is then going to go up in subsequent years. And finally, the final story that I thought was a nice little boost to the mood today, and that was the UK seeing a 45% increase in their EV charging network last year. Data from ZapMap revealing 54,000 public charges across the UK by the end of last year. Ultra Rapids, which they say has 100, 100 kilowatts or more, okay, uh, experienced a 112% increase. There's now 4,900 of those. Uh, it was a 65% increase in slow charges as well, and a 72% increase in on-street charges. ZapMap notes the expansion of charging infrastructure is uneven across the regions with certain local authorities doing better than others link in the show notes if you'd like to find out more and if you would like to support the work we do here reminder our patreon page patreon.com slash ev news daily i can't spend my whole day going through these stories and researching them and filtering out the stuff you need to know without the amazing support of our patreon uh, supporters hey by the way for somebody who asked recently on email am i back to do the formula one stuff in 2024 no i've knocked them back which is crazy isn't it because i like my motor racing and and working on the formula one podcasts was basically getting paid to do my hobby but this is urgent now and the move to ev the negative stories over the last 12 months which have really i think been amplified by certain sectors and certain vested interests 
there's one, we've got one chance to do this. Uh, I've got one legacy with two kids now. I want to look them in the eye when they're older and say I did my best. And so, yeah, that's, um, that was my, other, my second source of income, which was, uh, which was doing the F1 stuff. And uh, yeah, before Christmas, I said, I- I'm not going to sign on for 2024, which um, is, is, is scary and brilliant all at the same time. So this is, this is it. I am 100% funded. All of our bills are paid by EV News Daily. And uh, hopefully the work I do here is important to you. And thank you for listening. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, UK automakers. A story in Autocar Magazine caught my eye today. UK car manufacturers have contested proposed incentives within the zero emission vehicle mandate. That is the bit of legislation that started at the beginning of this year, which says how many, a percentage of the total fleet sales that Evo makes has to be EV. Uh, the ZEV mandate requires car makers to sell a growing percentage of EV, starting with 22% this year. And if you sell you know, 100 cars, for instance, if you, and, and you're a car maker, and you sell cars in this country, and of every 100 cars, 22% of them have to be pure EV. And if not, then you pay a fine to the government. Or you can also buy credits from the likes of Tesla or those with more. So uh, we're going to see, firstly, some amazing discounting on EVs, because rather than paying the 16 or 18,000 pound fine if you miss it per car sold well it's better to discount the car by 15 grand than pay the bill to the government for missing it so it's some great deals because of the zev mandate hasn't been again reported at all over here it's very important um the mandate considered originally was going to award additional credits for EVs with higher battery efficiency lighter weight and smaller size this system would have favoured smaller, more affordable, more efficient electric vehicles. And this was a car story claiming that car makers have been lobbying against this and that for they wanted a simpler system where one EV equals one credit and not offering the double up credits on making smaller, efficient EVs. Boo. Boo hiss you, car makers. We want smaller, cheaper, efficient cars, don't we? Let's go to France next. And France has introduced a revised subsidy system for EVs, the Bonus Ecologique, focusing on CO2 emissions during production and transport. The subsidy criteria make it challenging for the Chinese to qualify, excluding pretty much all of the Chinese EV makers from getting subsidies. Around two-thirds of EV vehicles sold in France, including those from the Stellantis Group, Renault, Germans, and Tesla's Model Y, made in Germany, now qualify for the subsidy. France has also tightened the Malus Ecologique, a one-time penalty tax for new cars with high CO2 emissions on first registration. The threshold for the penalty has been lowered to vehicles emitting more than 118 grams per kilometre of CO2. Uh, The tax begins at €50, escalating rapidly with increasing CO2 emissions. That's great news. France have really got their act together with their, uh, their incentives this year and their penalties. Like Norway, uh, with the way that they've been uh, promoting EVs by taxing combustion stuff. An additional weight tax has been introduced in France as well uh, to try and get more efficient, lighter vehicles on the road. Well done, France. Now, let's go to Hungary next, launching a 700 billion, well, that's a 2 billion euro infrastructure project. Uh, it's in its second largest city. Do I say Debrecen? Sorry, Hungarian listeners, if I've just mashed that. My bad. Uh, The investment aims to establish their second city as a major battery production hub in Europe. The project 
complements direct subsidies given to BMW and CATL recently by Hungary. Uh, the city has had $13.6 billion worth of foreign investment over the last eight years from BMW, CATL, other suppliers as well. And with a population of just under 10 million, Hungary is poised to become the world's fourth biggest battery producer behind, obviously, China, then the US and Germany. Wow. And let's talk about Fisker, who I mentioned at the start of the podcast, moving away from direct vehicle sales to customers and opting completely for the dealership model. No more direct sales or service by Fisker. They want to sign up 50 dealers by the middle of the year, making a big shift in its sales and distribution strategy. Henrik Fisker plans to personally engage with the dealers at the NADA Association, the convention, rather, National Automobile Dealers Association Convention, to promote their ocean crossover. Future models like the Pair and the Alaska uh, will be sold only through franchised dealers. Dealerships will be the only way to set up uh, an area for you to go see a Fisker vehicle and purchase a specific uh, vehicle. Uh, There's going to have signage inside those dealerships and specific tools to fix them and technician training, obviously. Uh, The transition to dealership sales is a complete 180 from the direct sales model they previously said they were favouring. Now, Here's a name we haven't mentioned very much recently and someone who I rate very, very highly and I'm sad to see him no longer leading Volkswagen. Herbert Dies. Herbert Dies is no longer leading Volkswagen. I think he did an amazing job driving forward the IDE project with many, many voices at board level within Volkswagen Group. Not keen to go headlong into EV. As we've seen since he's left, they've changed their tune. Sadly, uh, it was uh, it didn't work out for him for various reasons. Some people point towards the software issues, but either way, it parted ways. And that's a real shame. So where's he turned up? Well, not running Tesla, which some people thought might happen as Elon moves on to other things and rockets and social media, but a company you've never heard of. It's called The Mobility House. And he's going to be their uh, executive chairman, actually. And he known is known for his passion for electric vehicles, his support of vehicle to grid. Uh, That was meant to be coming to the ID vehicles with the bigger batteries 18 months ago. And that got delayed and I think probably kicked down the road once he left, which is a real shame. I mean, there are some pilot projects and stuff. They will technically do it in Germany if you have the right deal on the right battery. Either way, he has always expressed enthusiasm about energy and cars being an ecosystem. And now this company uh, directly does that. They have pilot projects in collaboration with energy providers and car makers, bi-directional charging, second life battery storage. Uh, They've got um, their marketing about 100 megawatt hours and four and a half thousand stationary storage uh, facilities in France, Germany and the Netherlands. And he's now going to be their exec chairman. Wow. That's where he turned up. Brilliant. I think he'll do an amazing job. He's a very forward-thinking gentleman. Uh, Dr. Herbert Deese, I wish you the best of luck. I'm a huge fan. Now, China's EV chipping, sorry, shipping crunch uh, is uh, is here. And we had the COVID-related chip problems, and now we've got the ship problems. Chinese EV exports are going so well that they actually can't get them out of China. Uh, The country is investing substantially in new car shipping, 
recognising the sector as vital for the growth of the automotive industry. There's long backlogs at shipbuilders. Major Chinese EV companies are opting to manage things themselves, like BYD. BYD uh, are the ones that just surpassed Tesla in Q4 last year in pure EV sales. For instance, they're now building their own car carriers. And they took the delivery of their first one this month. They've got an order in for six ultra-large car carriers that take thousands of these vehicles, these roll-on, roll-off ferries uh, or, or ships at once, and they're building their own. So this is why BYD is so impressive, because it's so vertically integrated uh, that they're even building the means of which they ship the cars. A significant number of older vehicle carriers, I think, went out of service during the pandemic uh, as car factory shutdowns happened and they took them out of service and they've been short ever since. Now, uh, let's do a little bit of Chinese news with NIO quickly. Uh, They're launching 10 vehicle-to-grid charging stations in Shanghai. They did that today anyway. Uh, Marking their first installation in the city as part of a pilot project for the state grid Shanghai Organised Charging Project in residential areas and uh, their V2G project follows earlier trials in parks, offices and shopping centres. A recent government document outlined China's goal to utilise EVs as mobile energy storage units. And when China say, here is our plan for 2030, I'm inclined to think they'll hit it. So they're going big into V2G, V2H. North Volts. The battery maker, developing a sodium ion battery, unveiling their new technology for energy storage systems. It's 160 watt hour per kilogram energy density, and this is going to be ideal for uh, energy storage. And it utilizes commonly available materials, iron, sodium, very safe, very affordable, I guess. And um, compared to NMC technologies, nickel, manganese, cobalt, even lithium-ion phosphate batteries, um, it's more affordable, more sustainable as well, actually. And initially aimed at stationary energy storage, they will evolve the technology for EVs over time. Now, finally, great news from New Zealand, but not so fast. Uh, EVs were 50%, actually they were over 50% of all of New Zealand's new car market last month. There's a reason. It was influenced by the end of their clean car discount, uh, the Ute tax. The clean car discount was introduced back in June 2021, involving a tax on newly imported combustion engine vehicles to fund rebates on EVs and plug-in hybrids. Um, The spike in EV demand last month was a temporary effect because of the end of the incentives. But still, very cool to say, hey, New Zealand, half of your new cars sold were plug-ins. Very cool. And that's your podcast for today. Thanks to our premium partners, Porsche of the Village in Cincinnati, Audi of Cincinnati East, Volvo Cars of Cincinnati East, National Car Charging on the US mainland and Aloha Charge in Hawaii, Derek Riley and Nevo.ie are holding Ireland's first ever electric vehicle show in partnership with Bank of Ireland. It's February 17th in Dublin. Visit Nevo.ie for info and tickets. And tickets are free. And Octopus Electroverse, global public charging made simple with one app and one map. I use it all the time. And Lease Plan Electric Moments, providing all the tools and guidance EV drivers need. Have a good one, see you tomorrow. And remember, there is no such thing. It's a self-charging hybrid.